When it comes to regret, you can't regret something afterwards. Even though I was feeling crappy afterwards and saying, what have I done? I knew it was still the right decision. Welcome to Stand Out, Get Noticed, the podcast that helps you speak and present with rockstar confidence. I'm Christina Cantors, your host and founder of The C Method Communication Skills Training. For free resources and to subscribe to the show, visit thecmethod.com. Hello, Rockstar. Welcome to episode 133 of Stand Out, Get Noticed. Christina with you here. I hope you are having a wonderful Wednesday or whatever day of the week it is when you listen to this. Maybe you're in your car driving to work. Maybe you are vacuuming around the house. Maybe you're going for a run or a walk. Maybe you're on the tram or the train. Whatever it is that you are doing and listening to this, thank you so much for tuning in and for spending some time with me today. I really hope you enjoy this episode because it is a very special one. I am joined by an amazing guest. I'm very excited to introduce you to him. He is professional speaker Mike Rolls. Imagine this. You have something in your life, very close to you, that is holding you back from living your life to the fullest. Every day it's there, on your mind, occupying your thoughts and draining your energy. It prevents you from doing the things you love. It affects your sleep and your moods and your relationships with those dear to you are suffering because of it. And the only way you can move on with your life is to take drastic action and remove that thing completely. Now, I'm sure you've experienced something like this. Perhaps it was a toxic relationship you ended, or an unfulfilling job that you left, a bad habit you abolished, or an unhealthy food that you gave the boot. Now, imagine if that thing holding you back was your own leg. After contracting one of the deadliest diseases on the planet, meningococcal septicemia, at age 18, Mike Rolls was left with horrific internal and external injuries, including the amputation of his left leg. He made a slow and arduous journey back to health and eight years after falling ill, made the terrifying decision to amputate his other leg as further infections in the bones made it even more difficult for him to move freely and go about his daily life. But since making this decision, he's been able to live a happy, fulfilling life and has had many accomplishments as a double amputee, like running again after many years, representing Australia in golf. He did the Eureka Climb and the Eureka Tower, for those of you who aren't from Melbourne, is one of Australia's tallest buildings. And he passionately advocates and supports other amputees who experience similar circumstances. He is now a professional speaker who inspires people to be resilient and to, quote, amputate the dead weight from their lives. And that's exactly what we're talking about today. You can learn more about his work and speaking at mikerolls.com.au. And that's Rolls spelled R-O-L-L-S. Now, I met Mike at the podcast workshop I ran at Hub earlier this year and was blown away by his passion, his positivity, and his just-do-it attitude. So I knew I had to get him on the show. In this conversation, we talk about the key things he learned through his healing journey, what it was like to make the hard decision to amputate his leg, how to be aware if something's holding you back, and steps to removing toxic things from your life. I loved this conversation, and I hope it also helps you to start thinking about how you can create more positive change in your life. Show notes for this episode will be at thecmethod.com slash Mike. Okay, you ready to get blown away? Let's meet the incredible Mike Rolls. I deal with a lot of amputees. Uh, I work for a charity called Limbs for Life, and 
every single time I speak to new amps and everything like that, one of the first things I say to them, um, because I, I often speak to people and they go, oh, it's, it's always uncomfortable on the right side. And I try and walk and they, you know, because wearing a prosthetic limb can be fraught with a bit of danger. And I say, there is never, ever a reason for you to be uncomfortable in your life. If you're uncomfortable with a prosthetic limb, go back to your prosthesis and get it fixed. And then if you're still uncomfortable, go back again and again and again, and eventually you'll be comfortable with it. And you should never put up with uh, being uncomfortable in your life or having something in your life that holds you back, I guess you could say. In a nutshell, that's kind of the premise uh, of the amputate dead weight um, idea. And look, it was born out of, I guess, people asking for it. Um, I remember when I first started speaking uh, I, I came I had these three key points that I would talk about uh, as as an initial keynote, keynote that I came up with irrational beliefs um, one of them was get out get outside your comfort zone it was a really important thing not because um, it you know it pushes you or anything like that um, it does but one of the reasons I think that's important for us to do that is because um, it creates a level of anxiety um, that throws us into the unknown and I think that's really important the more we become used to that um, the more we are able to navigate change and crisis when it actually occurs and sometimes it does occur in our life mm. um, and then I had that, that key point and then I had this amputate dead weight key point and then every single time I'd present people would come up to me and go I love that cutting the dead wood I love that, um, you know, getting rid of the shit in your life or whatever it might be. They might not have said those words, but that's what they were resonating with. That's what people were saying. Because I think everyone, when I mention that and then I tell them about my journey and my decision to chop off my last remaining leg in 2009, eight years on, that's what people say, wow, I've got something in my life. And they're thinking about something in their own lives as I'm speaking. And they're saying, I really need to address that. Mm. So can, I, can I just pause yeah, you there? Go for it, yeah. Now we've dived straight in, and some of you listening might be going, uh, "What? He chopped his leg off." Yeah. Yep. Let's give some context to this story. So you're Absolutely. you're a professional speaker. Yeah, you speak I am. to schools, organisations, corporate and schools corporate. at the moment. Yeah, I'm not in the public space. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly, probably about seventy percent of my work is in schools at the moment. Um, I do mostly year nine to year twelve students, so adolescents. It's really uh, it's a great space to be in. It's a wonderful place if you're starting out speaking, if you can get in front of uh, students and teenagers and keep them entertained and engaged for an hour then you are well on your way to becoming a speaker, I can promise you. They're, they're so, they're, they're the toughest crowd, are they? Oh, yeah, amazingly. Like some of them, it's like pulling teeth sometimes. <laughs> Other times, and then getting them involved and making it fun uh, and interactive is a really important thing too. So, um, I guess probably to give a bit of context uh, around my story, uh, when I was just 18 years old, I was a fit, healthy, um, active and sporty young man. And I just loved to uh, get out and run around and be with my mates and always around sport, always kicking the footy in the park, whatever it was. It was always to do with activity. And then uh, I played footy down in uh, Hampton. And towards the end of the season when I was 18 years old, Someone had mentioned, uh, hey, do you want to go on this football trip, Mike, with the, all the boys at the end of the year? And I said, oh, I don't know a lot about it. Can you tell me more? And they said, we're going down to Hobart. And I'm thinking to myself, yes, absolutely. I would love to go down to Hobart. That sounds wonderful. Um, away from the parents, you know, all that mischief we're going to get up to, all the rest of it. So, we went down to Hobart um, and apparently um, – we had a wonderful time on this trip, even though I don't remember any of the trip at all. Uh, the last thing I remember was getting dropped off to go to the airport um, with my mates. And then the next memory I have, I went on the trip, somehow got really, really ill along the way. Um, and then I was too sick to fly home. And I was rushed by ambulance back to the Royal Hobart Hospital. And they diagnosed me with uh, bacterial meningitis or meningococcal septicemia, uh, a very rare form of meningitis. And when the infection enters the bloodstream... 
it starts to coagulate your blood and, and, and clot your blood and, and all of a sudden your body completely goes into to, to meltdown and you are in septic shock. What and, caused it? Uh, basically, it's like catching a cold. Everyone asks that question. Oh. It's the first question people just go, what happened? How did you catch that? And I guess that comes from people saying, well, damn, I hope I don't catch this thing. This sounds really deadly. And Don't go to Hobart. I, and and the, my, always, my answer is always the same. Don't go to Hobart. Don't say that. It's wonderful <laughs> in Hobart. I've been back all, like heaps of times. I love it. It's the reason um, why they're separate from yeah, us. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always going back there and I, like, I still haven't found my legs. It's crazy. No, I'm no, just, just teasing. Um, so, so, basically, it's a... It's a form of bacterial men. It's bacterial meningitis, basically, and uh, it's 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 caught or you catch it by, I guess, sharing a drink or breathing it at the wrong time if someone coughs, or um, and only a certain percentage of the population can be susceptible to it at a certain time of year, or I don't know, like all the the moon has so to. The all- chance, the chances were yeah. very very small. Yeah, do the and math. You just happen to be there. It's a one in a million chance. Yeah. Literally, those are the numbers. Um, so I was very unlucky. But I got it. You know, that's the, that's not something that I occupy a lot of my time with wondering how it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, all I remember was waking up five and a half weeks later in Melbourne after being in an induced coma. And uh, when I woke up, there was, uh, you know, it was a world of pain, really, um, completely devastating injuries. Uh, my right leg was gone uh, below the knee, a couple of my fingers on my right hand, half of my foot on my left uh, side was amputated right through the arch. And I had all these skin grafts all over me and my weight had plummeted from 80 kilograms down to 47 kilos. Uh, so, um, you know, inactivity and also just, you know, no, no food or anything like that. Lying in a bed for five and a half weeks will do that yeah. to you. Uh, and then internally, liver failure, kidney failure, all the rest of it. So, it was this huge saga. And, um, and then that went from, you know, there was, you know, infections everywhere and things like that. And it was touch and go uh, when they first phoned my folks. I said, get down to Hobart, Mike's got about an hour to live. And they all rushed, dropped everything, rushed down there. And then it was for the next six months, we, um, we got, to, we came together as a team. I have the most amazing family, um, incredible support. And we all banded together and did everything we needed to do to get me back to, uh, back home after six months. I got, got home on my birthday in March. Um, so September right through to March. And I was still sick as a dog, like not even transferring from a chair to a car and all that sort of stuff. Hadn't only just got my prosthetic leg on. Like, how the hell do you deal with that at 18 mm. years old? I think back now and I think, wow, it just seems like a, you know, a dream or, you know. How did you deal with it? Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a really interesting thing. All I dealt with was I would, I would be really focused on small goals, you know, early on, like, you know, it was amazing. This, I had this huge goal, right? You know, we all have goals in our life. Well, my goal was sitting on the side of the bed for five seconds. And not throwing up. Oh my god! That was my big goal, you know. And I got there. I got there, and uh, you know, then it became okay. Well, now sitting up for a minute um, without having to lie down again because I'm lying down for so long. You know, you get vertigo and your your head's spinning. It's it's the weirdest thing. Then it became okay. Well, now I want to be able to sit in a wheelchair. When I got to rehab, and then it was okay. Well, what about getting a leg on? You know, getting this prosthetic leg on. This is the weirdest thing. I've never even. Um, met an amputee before in my life. You know, I thought, uh, quite frankly, it was a bit odd. You know, like, what a weird thing. You see those people and you imagine these old, like, and, and the first day mum wheels me into the rehab department and uh, she takes me through um, this corridor and there was this huge uh, cabinet set up with um, antique prosthetic limbs from World War One sitting there with all hooks and everything like that and straps that look like a torture chamber. And she's freaking out. And I'm going, wow, what, where the hell am I type thing? I'm in Westworld. Yeah, yeah, crazy, <laughs> right? Like, I was sitting, that's, that's what it was. It was a bit like that. And um, I did the rehab, uh, got my leg on finally, was able to go home. And then I, I got on with life. You know, I, I, I continued to um, 
I guess, do all the rehab from home, come in as an outpatient, those sorts of things, and got back to life. Wow. So yeah. that was when – so you had one prosthetic leg at that point yeah. and yeah. you still had your other leg. Yeah, my foot. Yeah, I was left with half a foot, which I would have to dress every day. Uh, sorry, every yeah, every day I would dress it uh, myself mm. and I'd put it inside this little boot thing and then I'd wear this brace thing and I'd put slip that into a shoe and I'd have to wear it and it would be this – it was a bane of my existence now that I look back on it and I think, wow, what a terrible thing. It was kind of just done that way to let's patch Mike up and we'll worry about this leg later, that kind of thing. And as you can imagine, I didn't want to just jump back into a hospital bed straight yeah. away. That's the last thing on my mind. You know, when you get better, you're like, a, you know, the, le- the, 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 the less time I can spend in a hospital, the better, I was thinking. So, I didn't really want to address it. I didn't want to face up to this problem that was causing all these problems in my life. And then until about nine years on, so from 2001 right through to 2009, so eight years, sorry, um, I went for a regular checkup at Caulfield and I got diagnosed with uh, a low-grade bone infection in the foot um, from a chronic infection, from a chronic wound that I had for all these years. And the doc says, you know, you're not, this isn't going to get better. You need to do something about it. And that was a real wake-up call for me. That was uh, stopped me in my tracks, paused me. Uh, where I was in my life and made me think about everything. And then she asked me, you know, how do you feel physically? And I go, well, not wonderful. You know, I have to sleep every single afternoon. My energy levels are way down. My appetite is terrible. Because um, I guess all your, the energy in your body yeah, is going to that healing. leg to try yeah. to bring it back again. Healing. Yeah. And, all, and, and all my focus and everything, like, you know, even if it's subconscious, it's going towards that. And mm. it's this, it's, it, was, it became this real thorn in my side and – you know, I, I guess at that point, I kind of like woke up in a lot of ways and I said, okay, enough's enough. You know, and I, and I started to think about how well my right leg went. You know, like I've got this prosthetic leg on my right side. You know, what about just chopping it off? And I, I, I sort of made my decision that day. And then I went back and told my family and I told my friends and every single person that I would tell would say, Mike, have you lost your mind? Mate, you got one leg left. Why would you chop that off? You know, that's the question they're asking me. Um, but no one really knew the day-to-day. No one knew what I was feeling inside, how it was affecting everything. Because when you're affected physically like that, that spews out into every area of your life. You know, you can't maintain, um, you know, happiness and healthiness with your relationships or with your work or with whatever. You know, it, it, it all starts to infect everything else. And I kind of felt that I just owed it to it. You know, with all the faith everyone had showed me, it's like, okay, I need to get myself right so I can be better for everybody else. And how did you feel when you'd made that decision that I'm going to get rid of this leg? Absolutely terrified. I was I was a bit, you know, concerned because I went and saw four surgeons. Two of the surgeons told me it was was impossible because I had so many skin issues up and down my shin oh, really? and everything. Okay. They said, look, a baloney is not optimal. You know, you've got a, you've got all these skin issues. You know, and then I went to one guy. Um, and all the surgeons were looking at it like kind of, you know, like it was just a, a case and they pointed out and said, we'll do this and, and everything. And they never really said, Hey, what do you want to do? Cause they all wanted to save the foot. People said, Oh, we'll take a flap from your back and put it on your foot. And I'm like, no, no, hang on a minute. No, I'm not doing that. That's going to mean six months in hospital. And, uh, I can't mentally, I can't handle that. There's no way. So I'm like, I want you to chop it off. And they so you had to here. fight to get your yeah, leg in chopped a way, off. I did. Yeah. <laughs> I said, look, I want it. I want to just be done with it. I want to be wound free. I want to be able to move on with my life and I want to chop my left leg off. It's over leg. Yeah, you and me, absolutely. you and me, we just yeah. can't go on anymore. And if they weren't going to agree, I was going to go and grab a chain. No, I'm joking. <laughs> 
Certainly then wasn't you could have become that. a really amazing movie maker. Yeah. Well, it was going to be like that. <laughs> no special that, effects what's that required. 24 hours show where he cuts his own. His 127 own, uh, hours. Yeah, that one. Yeah. yeah. I watched. I watched. 100, was 127 hours. 127 hours. Yeah, that was um, that was tough to watch for me. And there was another one, Saw, when it came out. There was a whole thing around it. People Look, like, I haven't even I haven't gone near no, a Saw movie. I refuse. No. Well, I, I don't blame you because I remember watching it and um, it was pretty bad because he's had to do the whole, you know, everyone's, everyone's saying, Mike, don't watch Saw. <laughs> and I just had to watch it, you know. It's one of those things, curiosity killed the cat. But, um, yeah, I, I went to – I found this amazing surgeon, Michael Leung, and he looked at me and he says, what do you want to do with Mike? Like, how do you want to proceed? And I said to him – I want you to chop it off. Can you do it? And he says, well, I can do it. It will be a tough two-stage operation. We're going to do this. And he started to explain all the things he was going to do. And I go, mate, la, 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 I, la, I, I la, don't want to listening. know what you're going to do. Just <laughs> put me to sleep, do it, and then I'll deal with it when I wake up. Yeah. And that's what he did. And after – it was really traumatic. It was really tough. Got home. I, my mental state went off the cliff. I was like, what the hell have I done? Uh, and I was in this stage of navigating all this uncertainty, even though I knew it was the right decision for me. You know, we always, whenever you take something away from your life, whenever you decide to cut that dead weight away, all of a sudden you get to the other side and you go, no, 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 take me back. You always want to go back on that decision. It's important to stay the course uh, because after a little while, all of a sudden I started to feel a little better. I was moving around a bit more. They got the stitches out. I started getting fitted for a leg. And then all of a sudden, the clouds started to disperse. And I was like, okay, here we go. Here's some opportunity. And uh, I got a leg on and I never looked back. Um, you know, it was probably a seven-week process uh, altogether, maybe a little less, maybe six and a half weeks. And once I got up, um, my quad was very wasted on my left, so I had to build that back up. And then I've been able to do things that would have never have been possible had I have just sat there and accepted that foot in as my life like and I could have just still been managing it now if mm. I didn't make that decision and I can't imagine what life would be like if I was still stuck back there and it's enabled me to move on by making a really tough decision and that's what I encourage people to do when I speak you know I encourage people hey look don't put up with uh, negativity don't put up with things in your life that are stopping you from being the best you can be um, act you know make sure you do everything within your power to change that situation because life is too short to, you know, we hear that all the time, but it is, you know, you can't spend years wasting. And th that's the other thing. Like, you know, when, when it comes to regret, you can't regret something afterwards. Even though I was mm. feeling crappy afterwards and saying, what have I done? Um, I knew it was still the right decision. You know, I knew I'd made the right decision. It are was you, are the you a only gut one. person or a head yeah, person? Yeah, I, I, I am definitely a gut person. It's like I knew that that was what the step that I had to take, you know, that, and I wanted to put an end to it as well. I wanted to put this to bed, this whole, you know, meningococcal saga. You know, if I, if I'm honest, it was still sort of lingering. It was still something that I was dealing with and I always felt like, you know, there was a loose end, so to speak. So, I tied it off uh, in a big way. <laughs> and some of the things that you do now that, like you mentioned before, you, you couldn't have done before if absolutely. you hadn't got rid of the leg. Yeah. You play golf. You're a yeah. golfing champion. Yeah, absolutely. So, no, well, not a, I wouldn't say champion. Like, I play a good level of golf. And, like, that's the thing. I, I, I've managed to focus all my energy and attention into golf Uh Instead of football and stuff, you know, I can't sit there and say, I love playing footy. You know, I love that. And I missed it. Mm. And I, all contact sports. But what do you do? Like, I'm, that's not, I'm not going to play football again. You know, you can whinge and moan about that all day long or you can do something that you can do and do it well. So, I, I, I started, you know, getting serious about golf and practicing and becoming better at learning how to balance through the, the swings. I don't have ankles. So, um, and then I got back to, you know, a level which is better than before. Um, like when, than when I had legs, which is something I'm really proud of and was able to 
playing Japan with the Australian team, which was an amazing experience. But then running again was something I was able to do afterwards. Once I healed up, you know, that was out of, out of the question with the foot. So running again, getting back in the water. I wasn't allowed to swim in, po- you know, pools because of infection uh, to the wound. Sure. So there's a whole bunch of things. And then like, yesterday I was just mentioning I did Eureka Climb for the fourth year. And, and if I climbed upstairs when I still had that foot, um, I reckon about four flights and I'll be done. I'll be laid up for like three weeks, guaranteed. So uh, now I'm able to do far more physically. And it's it's amazing what happens when you address something in your physical life. All of a sudden your mind starts to clear. Then that moves into uh, other things like I started to go down the speaking path. You know, I did a, a counsel, I've got a counseling diploma. I help other people, other amputees at the, at the coal face of their amputation. Um, and do, do a number of, uh, other community, uh, things, you know, that, that I'm really passionate about, which I don't think I'd be doing if I was still in that, in that, um, perpetual state of dealing with something that I needed to, to deal with. And I think that's the important message yeah. here. I've heard of the, this concept of mental clutter. Yeah, yeah. That we have and it's these little things in our mind that just take up a lot of space yeah. in our mind but we don't we're not fully aware that they're there. Yeah. But it affects us on a daily basis and we don't realize how much energy it's actually taking Absolutely. to deal with all of that and, and then and therefore it's not allowing us to then focus on the really important stuff. Yep. That we should be looking at. And that, and I think that's what it is, it's energy. You know, like you can you can focus so much energy on on things that are just fruitless. And that's one thing that I, I'm really passionate about. A lot of people, um, you know, they, they always talk about, they ask, they ask why, you know, like why did it happen and everything like that. And I, I always, I'm, it's almost like I'm allergic to that word when it comes to trying to explain things. And, and you can't explain the unexplainable. Um, sometimes things happen in our life that are out of our control and you can get into this really bad rut, this cycle of trying to explain everything and everything you know that saying everything happens for a reason no it doesn't it doesn't happen for a reason maybe in certain cases but there's things that happen on in the world that are always going to be unfair they should never have happened and we just have to deal with certain things so asking that why and getting in that real uh, that vicious cycle of trying to explain things and justify things to ourselves is not going to help anyone you've just got to pick up the pieces work out what you've got here learn from the experience if you can and then move forward the best way possible so, in the keynotes that you give, what's the first step that you give to people to help them to go through this process on their own? Yeah, well, uh, I, I've just recently uh, written a book, which is a bit of a self-help book, I guess you could say. I'm really excited about that. Mm. I'm going to be releasing that next year. Brilliant. And um, I came up with this really fun, uh, like this acronym, which is around the, the word amputate comes from the Latin word amputare, which means to prune, right? So, when we prune a bush or a tree, what are we doing? We're cutting away the superfluous uh, material, like the stuff that's not there. It's not going to grow anymore. We cut the it away. The unnecessary stuff. Absolutely. And we, um, and then what happens, uh, it starts to regrow. It start, We learn from it. It starts to regrow into something far more beautiful. And and that's that's really a great metaphor that I came up with um, That's that's been my life. You know, I, my meningococcal uh, sort of descended on my body. Bits of it started to die. You know, that's what happened. And unless they removed those dead parts, I, would, I wouldn't be here today. So, uh, and then I, I did the same thing. I took that initiative myself with my leg and I said, you know, and this is not serving me in my life anymore. This leg, just because I'm born with this leg doesn't mean I need to keep it. And I knew how well I did with my right. And I said, okay, enough's enough. And I, I pruned that leg, if you will. And, uh, and that's the acronym that I came up with. And that's the process. Pause, reflect. Uproot, navigate, and evolve is uh, that makes up the chapters of the book, and it takes people through a journey. Pause, pause, reflect, Mm -hmm. uproot, navigate, and evolve. And the pause part is probably the most important step. Sometimes our life can be a little bit of a runaway train, and mine was 
to a point where I I, I kind of had this thing bugging me and I knew it was there, but I busied myself so I could ignore it, swept it under the carpet. Don't want to deal with that. It's too hard. Don't want to face up to that. And 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 the pause came in in that diagnosis of the uh, osteomyelitis of the bone. That was my pause. And the doc said, you need to deal with this. And I did. And that's the important part. Sometimes we need to be selfish in order to be selfless. Uh, that's a really important thing. Take time. Spend time on yourself. Take time out for yourself to be better. Work out what you need to change if you do need to change something so that you can be better for your family and the people you care most about. Because not everyone's going to have a doctor or someone there to say, no. to force you yeah. and say, you need to stop. I've, I've had a, well, not, I don't want to say similar. I don't want to compare your amputation no, to, no, my, no. to what I've gone you through. Know, you know, <laughs> wait, let me stop you there for a sec, Christina. What? That's one of the things that people say to me all the time. Like, come up to me every single time I speak, and I'm this, I'm six foot five. I've got no legs. I'm this Were tall. Are you always man. six foot five? I can be as tall as I like, oh. let's be honest. I've only just got these new legs, and they've made me two full inches taller. And everyone's like, are you taller? I'm like, I don't know. Like, Maybe. I put my other legs on, and I feel like a midget. So then I'm like, and then I went back to my prosthetist, and I said, hey, I think you made me two inches taller. He goes, that's okay. I'll just pop you down a little bit. I go, don't you bloody touch me. Okay. So, <laughs> I like being up here. Yeah, it's fresher, all the rest of it. Um, but in all honesty, after I've done a presentation, often people will come up to me and they'll say, Mike, it's not, it's nothing compared to what you've been through, but that's, that's like almost, it's like on record. And I stop them and I say, hang on a minute. You're living your life. Your life is your life. Your problems are your problems. Don't minimize them and compare them to other people's. If something's bugging you, then it's a real problem for you. So continue on what you're going to say <laughs> and don't preface it by saying, look, I'm not, you know, it's not a comparison game. So here we go. I can understand why people do it though. I, I can too. Totally understand. I can understand it. But I want to reassure people, hey, look, don't, don't feel your problems insignificant. Just on the, the subject of, you know, things that happen in our life that force us to stop. I had that when I started getting migraines. Okay. And for a long time, for my entire life, I'd never had migraines. And there was a point where I was working full time. I was doing high intensity training three times a week. Wow. I was training for a marathon. I just started my first podcast, building my website, plotting to leave my job. But there was a lot going on. And at one point, I was sitting at work and my eyes started to go fuzzy. And I, all I could see was stars. And I was in a a meeting and someone asked me a question and I could not form a sentence. Wow. So, your brain just shut down. My brain just shut down yeah. and it was so scary. I was just like, I have to, um, uh, it was so weird. And yeah. I, I got up and I ran off. I'm like, how embarrassing. Oh my God. Yeah. And they were like, sent, take her to the doctor straight away. Yeah. And I went to a couple of doctors and they scanned my brain. They checked my eyes. I got the full health check and they're like, you're fine. Yes. There is nothing wrong with you. You're just doing too much. And then one doctor said to me, you know what? You're stressed. Mm. You need to just calm down yeah. and do less. And that was my pause. Yeah. That was my moment where I was like, my body is telling me that I need to stop. Yeah. And at the same time- Reflect. I, look, and, and reflect. Look at your life and work out what's going on, what's not working, yeah. what's working, and those sorts some, of things. With a lot yeah. of people, it manifests itself in different ways. So, for me, it was migraines. For other people, it could be you get, the, you get a cold or yes. you get injured at the gym all the time. Yep. And that's your body telling, telling you, you something. to stop. And yeah. a lot of people just ignore it and keep going. Yep. They don't Absolutely. want to face it. But it doesn't have to just apply physically either. Mm. It could be anything. It could be something to do with your personal life or your professional life. If you're not doing something well at work, what's the reason for that? Are you repeating mistakes over and over again? Let's change something. Um, but that's very true. Along that journey, when it comes to uh, your pause, if you initiate that pause prior, then you can prevent that end incident because that was always leading up to. And mm. sometimes we let things go until it turns into a crisis. And that's not the way to live life. And that's something that I've learned probably the hard way. And it's always one of those things where I think, oh, you know what? Um, geez, I wish I had have 
I wish I had just chopped it off at the, uh, you know, in 2001 when I first got sick. That would have been ideal, but that didn't happen. And then I think, well, I'm not going to sit here and, um, you know, regret not doing it sooner because maybe I needed those eight years to come to terms with chopping off a second leg. I don't know. Like, I'm not going to sit there and rue it. It's happened, whatever. And now that it's done, what's done is done. And now I can move forward in a more confident manner. But, you know, when you had that pause with your with your migraine, what what sort of happened? What was the process? You you it, it forced you to think about your life and your current habits, didn't it? Absolutely. And then what did you do? Did you make change? I told my work that I was not going to work Fridays anymore. Okay, there you go. Well, <laughs> hey, it's, it, it makes sense, though, right? Like you're overwhelmed yeah. all of a sudden. Say, so I need some time for me. So then you uh, you amputated the Friday of work. I amputated the Friday. Absolutely. Oh, couldn't we? Wouldn't it be great <laughs> if we could amputate every Friday? Have a long weekend every day of the year. That's a very uh, that's a very good way to do it. Maybe that's the new book. Who knows? Amputate your Friday. Amputate Friday. Yeah. <laughs> Bosses around Australia will be you know racing out to get that one. Love it. And uh, and then navigate, which is a really important stage too. So when you get to the point where you uproot, it's got to be something uh, significant. And and we're not talking about addiction here. Let's just let me be really clear on that because it's a total different kettle of fish. It's things that are optional in our lives that we keep there that we know are bad. Right. It's those things that we don't um, we don't have a. I guess we're not we're not addicted to them in any way, but they are there. They're causing us problems. And so it could can, be a, like we a can toxic get rid of them. relationship. Absolutely, a, a job that's unfulfilling. Yeah, it could be anything. You know, like it's 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 an interesting one with kids. When I'm speaking with kids, I often speak about you know who you're hanging out with. Like, are you with a friend that every time you have an interaction with your friend, is it do you leave that interaction feeling horrible and helpless? You know, that do they put you down all the time? Why are you keeping that there? That's a hard sell for kids because it's really difficult to just say, oh, you know, because then they feel alienated. They might be isolated from a different group they want to be involved in. That's a tough one. But it, but it does make sense. Like, you know, when you, you get a phone call and someone maybe isn't great in your life and they make you feel, feel bad. And sometimes it can be a family member, sure. And you might screen the call because you look at the name on the number and you get a feeling. Your heart just sinks a little bit. Do I have to talk to Blunny? Oh, geez. You know, not that person again. Whatever it is. But that's the sort of thing. Like, is that how people, if people are making you feel that way in your life, well, what is it? Is it something? And it might not be, I'm going to get rid of that friend. That's not what we're saying at all. But if there's something about that friend that is concerning you, how about you amputate the behavior that's concerning you? How about you address it rather than just letting it coast along and complaining about it to anyone that will listen? You know, that's the important thing. It's it's about taking action rather than... Uh, waiting for things to just uh, boil over until they, you know, get to a crisis point as uh, as we both experienced. Absolutely. Yeah. And now you're on the speaking circuit. Yeah. Really speaking, exciting. Yeah. So, um, my first gig ever, someone said to me, I was doing, I was back at study after selling, I was in the fitness industry. I had a gym, ran that with my brother-in-law and my dad who had a great time, um, built that up to a point and then sold it. And then I, and then when we sold it, I said, oh, what do I want to do? Went back to school, studied for a year. And then someone said to me, why don't you start speaking because you're and I've always been uh, never been shy um, always been confident and everything but I've always been quite private so it's a bit it flies in in the face I don't like the the self-promotion and say oh you know hey look at me look this is what I've been mm. able to do and everything like that I, it kind of sits a bit um, a bit a bit uncomfortable for me I guess you could say but I got uh, I got to a um, a point where I said okay I'll give it a go and I got invited to go to a school uh, called Whitefriars College and they asked this? me oh this is three years ago okay. now and uh, I'm thinking, yeah, sure, I've got a story I could tell. And then all of a sudden, they introduce you and it was for 45 minutes. And I jumped on stage 
And I'd prepared for this, by the way. And I had all these great stories and the sequence and everything. And, and then they introduce you and then you're kind of like, you know, I've never really been in front of people on a stage. And there was about 150 to 200 students there all staring at me. And like you said, like when you, when you went blank, um, I had a bit of stage fright, I guess. And I sort of got over the first minute, got over the second minute and I started to ease into it. And then I was, I think I must have been speaking so fast that I burned through my material in about eight minutes, I reckon. <laughs> And I was left there making stuff up for the rest of the way, hoping people would, uh, does anyone have any questions? Um, you know, like, and then they'd ask a question and I'd go, hmm, yeah. And I'd try and elaborate as much as I can. I must have sounded like complete, you know, dill up there. And I realized, wow, there's a lot more to speaking than, than I thought. Um, and it's not just about getting up and telling a story. I need to be able to give people something. I think that's really important. Everyone, every speaker who uh, gets paid to speak knows that. Um, and it's something I'm still developing. I'm still working on. I'm still learning a great deal. I make mistakes all the time. And, but, I, but it's one of those things where you can sit there and, and curse yourself or whatever and, and say, you know, that was terrible, but you just got to learn from things and move on. And, uh, it's, it's a really, fulfilling thing having people come up to you and thank you afterwards for um inspiring or sparking some some thought within themselves that's when i know that i've i've done my job and uh and the last thing i ever want is to go for for people to go away feeling flat or heavy or like they've just eaten a brick um and walked away from one of my presentations because i don't have an unhappy life i live a happy life so i want people to walk away thinking wow okay he's moved on whatever you know that's that's the message that i want to leave people with so um, I incorporate a lot of fun um, I poke fun at myself uh, a lot of you know I've had some training with a, an amazing uh, comedian called Glenn Nicholas um, he's a Melbourne based guy he's been around for years he was mm. wonderful but also just surrounding yourself with really inspirational people like yesterday um, doing the Eureka Climb um, for White, White Lion and Interplast Interplast I'm an ambassador for but I did it with my great mate Ben Pettingill who's got 2% vision uh, he, he was actually on the podcast. Yeah, yes, um, was in it? an early episode. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! Benny. That's how. So that's how we met, Mike. Yes, through it ben. is. We yeah. went through Ben, and Benny and I are currently working on school programs, and uh, together we're called Legless and Blind, and um, we're going to take it out there, have some fun. So there's that, and then also Bridget, who's um, had two chronic um, health problems, brain tumor and breast cancer, and then Jess, who's had ocular melanoma as well. Um, the four of us climbed, and. You know, it was a wonderful event, really good fun, got to meet some amazing people and um, and it just goes to show that, you know, Jess, uh, I think a year ago, she was learning how to walk again and she did Eureka yesterday. So, she's a, mm. she's a very inspirational young woman. Well, Mike, speaking of inspiration, I'm sure you've inspired all the listeners. So. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in today. It's been an absolute pleasure. My pleasure. What an amazing story and message. Big thanks to Mike Rolls for being such an incredible guest on the show this week. You can find more about his speaking and his work at mikerolls.com.au or simply visit the show notes at thecmethod.com slash Mike. I'll put links to his Instagram and other social media channels there as well if you want to connect with him. Now, we did this interview in person at Hub and I actually videoed the whole interview, which I recorded as a Facebook Live video. And so if you want to see the uncut version and there's some outtakes and, and stuff that you know that got cut out of this final edit you can find that on my Facebook page so just go to uh, facebook.com slash Christina Cantors that'll take you directly to the page or you can search for Christina Cantors the C method that's my page oh and while you're there make sure you like it
you'll get to see Mike take his leg off at the end and, and sort of show us how it works. And you'll also hear him share a story of what he did when a little girl at the Victoria Market asked him if he was a robot. You'll be able to hear and see all of that in the Facebook Live video if you go to my Facebook page, Christina Cantor's The Sea Method. Now, before I leave you today, I want you to think about, is there any dead weight in your life that you need to amputate? Remember Mike's first step, to pause. Pause and then reflect. See what's happening in your life that may need changing. I've done my fair share of culling through the years. I've removed toxic relationships. I've changed my friendship groups. I left my career in architecture. I've chopped my hair off. And I've had that similar feeling that Mike describes of liberation, freedom, and I've found new opportunities for growth in the process. At the time, it can feel scary, but you do need to have faith and trust that you've made the right decision. You've got this, Rockstar. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Keep on being awesome, and I'll talk to you next week. My name's Christina Cantors, and this has been Stand Out, Get Noticed. <laughs>